Welcome back to Around the Shabbos Table. I am Aaron Wogelinter, and I'm here with my host, co-host, Rabbi Wogelinter, a.k.a. The Father. We have a very exciting guest today, and I will give it over to my father to intro her. Before that, we are part of the Intentional Jew Podcast Network. You can find us at intentionaljew.com. Please check out um, all of our podcasts. I think they're all great, and I think they're all amazing. So, uh, obviously, <laughs> I'm not biased. I'm just saying. Uh, I think that they're awesome. So, intentionaljew.com. And uh, let's get around the Shabbos table. You know, it, this is a very special, very special thing for me. Um, today, we are um, around the Shabbos table with uh, with a very special guest, um, Revitson Laurie Friedman, who, as the podcast goes through, we'll find out exactly who she is. But in, in our lives, she was really our... Um, our, she and her husband were really our best friends and our only friends really when we when we first got married and we lived together in Yushalayim in Kiryat Yovel which in those days I don't know if there was a minion of Shemr Shabbos there I mean it wasn't not a particularly religious neighborhood and we lived in a Ma'on Olim and I'm not even sure that there was a minion of Jewish people there you know there was all it was all the Russians and uh, and we lived there together and and really literally lived there together and uh you know, it, 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 we couldn't have gotten closer, and uh, and then we moved to Telstone together, and we're certainly for for um, for you know, mommy and I, we're you you guys were a very very important part of our lives, and 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 really have stayed there. You know, it's never never been replaced. I I speak about Yaakov all the time. He he and I were chavrusas. Remember oh, remember in the Mirkaz Klita, you guys used to learn, go we used down to, go to down that. down to the basement. Yeah, yeah, and we to used the to, library. It was, it was incredible. Library. <laughs> it, was, it was nothing. I mean, it was, it was nothing down there. And we sat there and we old, looked every night. Old paperback books. <laughs> but my, my and I, I bring this up, if you listen to, to my shoe, probably one out of ten, you'll hear this story. That that one time we came down, and we used to dominate in the shul together. We dominate in the shul of old, old Europeans. It, it was it was like the, if, if I told you stories about that that was like incredible, and and the two we we just it, it was, we you know we laugh at these guys and they were like they, they were they were like classic you know this guy the, you guys are arguing close the window open the window like the classic things you see in the show, okay so so we 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 and then we go to yeshiva he would go off to where he went I went to off to where I went and then we came back and at night we learned together, so one time after we learned. And and we used to you know burn it up. We we learned great. He said to me, "I'm having a crisis of faith today." So I looked at him. I said, "Oh wow, a crisis of what? A crisis of faith? First of all, what do I know from a crisis of faith? I'm not even sure I knew what the word faith was. Like, you know, crisis of faith." So he said to me, "Yeah, so I'm having a crisis of faith." He said, "Yakov, wait a second. You went to we daven together this morning. You sat and learned like eight hours today." And then we sat together tonight. Where's the crisis of faith? He looked at me and he said, "What does one thing have to do with the other?" You got a job. You got you got to daven. You got to learn. You got stuff to do. The faith—that's a separate thing. You, you crisis of faith. You deal with it. That made such an incredible impression on me, and and it's really shaped a lot of a lot of the way I understand things and it's something that I teach very often to people. Go through a crisis of faith. Just, you know, deal deal with your faith, deal with your amuna, deal with your, your issues. Just deal with them. But that has nothing to do with what you do. Continue doing what you're doing and deal with your stuff on the side. And it was just, it really was just an amazing thing. So, the the, the effect that, I remember, 
one other the curry. I never knew what curry was in my life. <laughs> it's curry. Maybe if I would have said the word curry to my mother, I think she would have looked it up in a dictionary. No, what's curry? Um, I tell people all the time, Yaakov was, he was a foodie before there were foodies. And he, I, I remember one time he got me this Chinese cookbook and I was making these steam buns and I was thinking, wonder if this is what they're supposed to look like. I don't know, <laughs> but I'll make them. And like, and we made all kinds of stuff. Like, and we made Indian food, and we made Chinese food, and we made. There was nothing Hamish about the food that you made. <laughs> I remember that. That was like a, like a big thing. But, but my oldest son is the same way. Oh really? And he used to he used to call my husband. Okay, I see this this thing they have in the shuk. They have this vegetable or they have this thing what can i make with it and what can i do and the two of them they like like think up recipes and whatever and my my oldest son does all the cooking and he Amazing. he he it's it's very interesting it's always that's a big nachas to see like all the good parts come out in your children <laughs> right right that's amazing so to to have, you know we haven't we haven't really spoken at length in a long time and just we were just sitting and schmoozing a little bit and i'm like transported back you know <laughs> 30 38 years ago you know just yeah. transported back and it's just really it's really wonderful and um when Aaron and i were talking about you know having you in the, in the podcast he said what should we talk about i said just let her talk <laughs> <laughs> she's just one of the most interesting people in the world like you know and, and she's and she's been she's had an interesting life and and married to an amazing person who's who himself has has an amazing story and just you know just, just talk can you give me um, and the listeners just context to maybe if uh, either just what he was, who he was, and so um, just like briefly, um, his first of all, his parents were older than my grandparents. They got married late. They only had two children. There's ten and a half years between him and his brother, and his brother became from they they were like traditional, and his father worked on Shabbos. But his father was European. And um, once his father didn't have to work on Shabbos anymore, like they they kept Shabbos. But um, his brother became from through a Rav in Queens who was a Holocaust survivor. And he, by his bar mitzvah, he, st he became from. And he went to Lakewood when Lakewood was very small. And my husband was ten and a half years younger, and he like became friends with all this like a very interesting crowd of people. And he then he went from public school to Mir Yeshiva. That was a disaster. Um, uh, so then he switched around every year to different yeshivas, and then he was back out the door again. And he by then his brother was living in was married and living in Toronto, and he moved to Toronto. So. He was there for about 11 years, and um, he was a musician, and um, he played guitar. And he was there, and, um, and then he had like a whole revelation <laughs> uh, that, that had to do with the Ribnitzer Rebbe also, and he met the Ribnitzer Rebbe. Her, his brother was trying to get him to come back to Frumkite, and he had a whole thing with him, and then he had a whole dream, a crazy dream, and he got, woke up and he said to his roommate, like, I had this crazy dream. I think we have to go to shul, like it was on Shabbos. And his friend said, I also had a crazy dream. And the two of them went to shul, 
and um, they ended up both coming. To, they decided that they, they got involved in Jep, which was uh, Rabbi Saperman, and who Rabbi Saperman is an amazing, amazing person. It was also and music, right? Jep, did they produce music? I think so. They did it. Uh, right, correct. Right. correct. But uh, Rabbi Saperman has a whole program that of teaching a Muna in the in the school system. Um, anyway, so he um, it, Rabbi Saperman said, "You have to go to Israel. You have to learn." And he said, "You have to go and just stay there." And he 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 hadn't learned for eleven years, and he came to Eretz Yisrael with his friend. Yeah, he, it's Una. not just that he hadn't learned in 11 years, but he had sort uh, of... He had he'd done totally many, many other things right. in his life. <laughs> None it of a, them... It was another lifetime. Right. right. And, um, and he and Huna came, and... Um, Huna was a drummer. Yeah, Huna was a drummer. Yeah, yeah, and he was a drummer. Gibraltar. No, no, that was Yitzhak Atias, oh. was from Gibraltar. They formed a band, and they were learning and whatever. And then I came to Eretz Yisrael, and um, somebody made the shidduch. So anyway, so um, he had a very, very interesting life. I think my I'm, like, more regular, <laughs> sort of. Well, yes and no. Like, I grew up, like, totally, totally unaffiliated uh, in Indiana, Mishawaka. in Mishawaka, Indiana, totally regular, <laughs> totally. <laughs> like, like I would, like I say to people sometimes. Listen, I was in a high school of two thousand kids, and there were seven Jewish kids. <laughs> so, um, but we got involved in NCSY and became from through NCSY, and then uh, I, I had friends, my friends, the Stein girls, who came from also with me and um and then uh who now live in Israel. Yeah, they all yeah. live in Israel. And um in, in one of them and tells them. <laughs> and um uh so, and then at some point like I said okay, I, I we need to go we need to go to seminary and so we did. Uh, so one of the Stein girls and I came for a year of seminary and I just loved Israel. It was funny because a lot of girls from that year just, I don't know, just fell in love with Eretz Yisrael. And I said, oh, I, I want to come back and live here. And I went back to New York, and, at, and we were living in New York at that point. And I lived there for five years, and I went out with different people. And I kept saying, no, 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 it has to be somebody that uh, is going to be willing to live in Eretz Yisrael. And um, then, then that's when, after five years, I came back here for a vacation, and my friend said, if somebody makes a suggestion, you have to go out. And then that's how I ended up meeting Yaakov and going out, getting engaged. and You got married in America? No, no. No? no, no. We ca I came back here, and we got married here. And um, uh, so, and then we just lived here ever since. Yeah. And so we were in the Mirkaz Klita with you guys. For like eight months, and then we moved to Telstone, and we've been in Telstone ever since. Like the Wogelanters left us in the dust, but <laughs> <laughs> they traveled all around the world. <laughs> and, and, and now we're back. <laughs> now you're back, Baruch Hashem. Anyway, but we've lived in Telstone all this time. It's amazing. We, I always say we, but the truth of the matter is my husband passed away two and a half years ago. 
What was he doing until he was? He, he was so he worked for Neve for fourteen years. Right. Neve Zion. He was a rebbe there, um, and then he went into addictions counseling, and he was he was a therapist. And he worked for Kesher, which was also a program. He was working as a therapist there. And then it's, uh, the last few years he wasn't working. He, he had a private practice, but it became too hard to maintain it. And to it, he had cancer, and he was, uh, it, it was a struggle for, for a number of years. And he just didn't have that emotional koach to deal with, with pay, you know, with clients. And um, so he was home. Okay, so that that sort of brings us to like what we were talking about before on the uh, you know on the phone. We were saying that sort of I wanted to ask you about Shabbos and how to make Shabbos meaningful. So I like to ask all my guests, and um, it's connected for you very much today to the fact that your you know your husband was Nifter and your and and this this time this past year and all that. And I think that um, I would love to just talk to that a little bit and speak to that, that what we're so to, to throw the question at you is how do you how do you maintain or make that meaningful for you uh the shabbos meal shabbos in general um okay so after my husband passed away so for a very long time for over six months i really went away every single shabbos mostly to my married children at that point in time i had three married children living in Eretzisrael, and I finally got to a point where I said, I, I have to have an option to be able to stay home. I, I, I can't I can't travel anymore. I can't do it every single Shabbos. And um, so it was fine. Like, then, then I worked it out. Um, I think that it, the one thing, I think that's one thing that I miss, and it's very hard. It was very hard, especially because of corona, that it's, I feel that it, a home is a home is that you have food and have people come. You know, um, I I miss that. I miss being able to have people come to my home, and and I'm hoping now, as Baruch Hashem, Corona seems to be, I won't say over, but uh, lessening, and things are opening up. I'm really hoping that it now I will be able to have people come to me. Um, because I, that's one aspect that I really do miss. But Baruch Hashem, I have good friends. I have good friends in Towstone who have me for meals. And I, I, in in certain ways, Shabbos has become very special. Also, when when at the towards the end of my husband's life, he was very very sick. It was like I said, we don't even make food anymore. Like he was too. He was at home. He was he was home until the day that he was two days before he was nifter. We like went into the hospital on Motzei Shabbos, um, and he was nifter on Monday. Um, but he was very very weak and he could really barely eat. So I really wasn't making food for him. And like, how much food do I have to make for me? You know, like I really was basically not making food, and I. I don't know. I miss that. Even though, to tell you the truth, like people say to me, oh, but that's because you love to cook. 
No, no, I, I really don't like to cook. <laughs> like uh, for years and years, I used to have like this little paper. It was from when I was in university, and it had this little poem, and it was all about like you know, if you come, there's not going to be, there's not necessarily going to be any food. And the last line was, "I am no cook. I like to paint." And um, and I remember I had it, and I took it with me wherever I went throughout all the years. And then I remember it was on my on my refrigerator in my kitchen. And one day I walked by and I go, "This." is not my life and I threw it in the garbage (laughs) (laughs) because I was making food all the time you know like and I don't know making food is part of making a home it really is and and it means a lot to it means a lot to family it means a lot to guests and um like you always say around the Shabbos table but but that's the thing like you're around the Shabbos table to eat food also you know what what's something that you still make for your kids? They say we need mommy's. Oh, so what do I make? Oh, I always take food to my kids. Oh. <laughs> so um, when I go to my son and daughter in law in in Rehavia, I usually make sloppy joes, like to take for dinner. Um, I, um, I I I make all kinds of stuff like whatever I can make that that will be a help you know like either I'll make a chicken dish or I'll make uh, I take um, or an extra cake or whatever I can make that will be a help for them oh and a lot of times I take the appetizer like I take uh, salmon because um, that's a treat uh, or, or I make a lot of different dips and that sometimes I do that Uh just whatever is is is, uh, is helpful. Yeah, it's so cool that also um, like for us, we all of my siblings relate. We all have like that one food that my mother made that like basically she makes for us when we come. But like she'll that's our food. One 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 brother is um, stuffed mushrooms. Mine is pecan pie. Another sister is uh, mashed potatoes, and everyone has like their thing. That, that speaks to them. But I think it also speaks to the fact that there was a lot put into that food. When those food were made and when she makes it for them, for us, then of course we're going to like it. One time she probably made it and she had us in mind and that's why we loved it. Because it wasn't about the food. It was about the food that creates there, that connection, the food that creates that that feeling. And that's yeah. that's very, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, we were mentioning before that a lot of people don't don't know how to relate to their Shabbos table. How to, how to make the Shabbos table meaningful so people with children don't know what to do with children. They don't know how to, how to keep their kids engaged. People that don't have children in the house, you know, empty nesters, so they have, you know, they have their challenges of, of making a, a Shabbos oh, table. Well, the funny thing about that is, like, people said, oh, like, I don't know, it's so hard. My children are gone. I said, are you kidding me? We're both going, like, yay, <laughs> yay. But never in front of the children. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, 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 no. We didn't tell them that. It's just the opposite. When they were called, say, how are you guys doing? You know, it's really hard without you. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, hooray, hooray. We're free at last, free at last. But we, but it's different to have a couple and to be able to have make that Shabbos together and to enjoy being together and also because Shabbos is that break that's so different than the rest of the week that that you can just sit and you can you have that extra time to sit and schmooze and 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 be together that it it was just a very nice it was a very nice time I, I see I feel like 
um, when you were saying this about kids, I feel like we never knew what to do. My, like my, I remember one time we had a whole bunch of Neve guys and, and my husband said, like, are, are, everywhere you go, like, are all the Rebeam's kids like this? And they said, yes, but you're the only ones who try and get them to sit at the table. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, we were always trying to get them to sit down and whatever. And I mean, there were certain things that we did, like, um, there was a whole, it was like a really a period of time in Telstone where every single Shabbos there was a kiddish. So that meant that we'd go to the kiddish, the kids would eat a bunch of cake and all kinds of nosh. They'd come home. They, they wouldn't even come and sit at the table to hear kiddish and let alone wash and sit down. And we'd have guests and then they would ignore the, Like they just run around and play. Then they all afternoon they'd eat nosh and then they wouldn't eat sudashlishi. And I said, our kids do not have a Shabbos meal. Like, like it's crazy. So my husband decided we're going to make milchiks. So we, for years and years and years, had milchiks every Shabbos lunch. For So when my my boys like were... Like milchik chalent. No. Nah, <laughs> no. <laughs> nah, we had... Um, quiche or lasagna or we we made all kinds of things and I made all kinds of salads and I always made a big fruit salad and we had this big milchig meal and my husband used to always say you know what this is my favorite meal of Shabbos is having these this all this um milchigs and then the kids were willing to come and eat because they always ate fruit salad they were always willing to you know and then when my boys were more like Bahram, and if they would, especially if they bring home friends, so then we'd we'd make a cholent and we'd eat the fleshic cholent for sudashlishi. Um, but many times, if it was just us, we'd just eat milchiks all day, all, all throughout the all of Shabbos day, and that was really just because it was really because of the kids, so that the kids would come to the table and they would sit down and they would eat. Uh, I, once my husband passed away. All of a sudden, I realized my kids, especially my married kids, their spouses are not really into milchiks. <laughs> like, I had to really go back to making fleshik lunch again when they come. You know, like, they they were not really... I mean, they they all the years that, that they came when my husband was alive, it was fine, but right. then... Yeah. Maybe you need to rethink this policy. Yeah, right, exactly, exactly. But, What's uh, it like being a grandmother... Now, like when you you go and um, to your kids, what's it like being there? What's the experience like being a grandmother at a at a Shabbos table? Like, what's maybe what's your responsibility? But also, um, how much does it resemble your your Shabbos table that you thought you didn't know what you were doing? You know, how did that become part of your kids' lives too? Um, actually, I'm so happy. Like they don't do what we did. <laughs> they don't scream and yell like. <laughs> um, they all try and do something special. Like my oldest son, he always, he prepares something every week having to do with the Parsha, but he always finds some kind of interesting story. And he says, come, everybody want to hear? Like, I'm going to tell a story. And he tells like a whole story and whatever. And um, my son in Nachliel is, is Breslov. So he always reads from this also some kind of story that he reads to the kids and whatever. Um, for me... I'll tell you the truth. What I try very hard, I work on very hard, is to not not try and discipline the kids. You know, like like just try and enjoy them. Yeah. And um, I always say, like being a safta 
is the best because you get to take credit for them. They're mine. They're my grandchildren. But then if anything happens, then it's like, okay, they're yours. Like, here, go take them. (laughs) So it's like all the credit without any of the work. (laughs) Uh, And, of course, they're all amazing, so that also helps. (laughs) We did an episode with my mother actually talking about the, the role of the grandparent and that's basically what came out that the the discipline you leave that to the parents and and you get to take the um you know that just enjoy them and and have that that time so that's fascinating as well there's a whole nother part to your life which is which is equally as fascinating which is your um mish, your mishpacha which is you know your involvement in mishpacha magazine and um you I called Mishpacha Magazine because my Mishpacha Magazine was late, and in an issue that I really wanted to read, and uh, and I called. And there's a and I understand that you know, Robinson Freeman is the, the the face of the magazine as much as that she picks up the phone and everything. But I didn't know that. I just know that I see her name inside the the credits on the inside on the inside of the magazine. So. I called to make this silly little. Com- not even wasn't a complaint. I was just asking if I could get the magazine. Like, you know, I, I, I'm not mad. I just also, we're from La Jolla, so when we got Mishpacha magazine, it was the Pesach from last year. <laughs> from last year, oh yeah. So when we were complaining after Pesach, we didn't get it. it was we didn't get last year's Pesach <laughs> one. So our expectations are not so uh, not so high. So so I, I called and I, you know, I got I got to to the lady on the phone said to me, "Okay, what's your name and what's your address?" So I said, you know, Jeff Oglander. I said, Jeff Oglander? Okay, so that's how we reconnected. Yeah. But but the truth is, is that that phone, my phone call, which was a little personal, but that phone call and and thousands of other phone calls is what you what you see and you um you know you come in contact with with the readers and come in contact with people, and uh, and you you you've seen a lot there and understand a lot about. You know, the, we look at Mishpacha magazine not merely as just a, an interesting thing to read, but it's a really a window into the into the Jewish world, and maybe maybe share with us some of the, um, the things that you've that you've experienced there and the things that you've seen, that you know the incredible things I'm sure that you've you've been able to see. Okay, so uh, technically, my t- my title is administrator. Um, that sounds very fancy. Um, I'm basically the one general office person at Mishpacha. Like in the office, there's all kinds of specific uh, departments. There's the proofreading and the editing and the graphics and the production. And then there's me. Like I deal with everybody. And so I do some part of the bookkeeping. I, I answer all the emails. I um, answer the phone, of course, and um, and and I take care of the archives. I, it, like I have a lot of different, you know, different things that I take care of there. So, um, uh, well, when I was speaking to you before, um, one of the things that I feel is very important that Mishpacha does is that they're able to connect people to different things to help them. Like they'll run an article about a certain problem. And then I know when I read the article that people are going to want to get in touch. And also every time that somebody gets in touch with me and, and asks me for information, 
I, I save the information because I know that if one person contacted me, there's going to be other people. Um, uh, like, uh, it, like, I don't know, they, they've had so many different things over the years, but um, like even, uh, well, this is like a small example. They have this, um, this column that it, it's like, I forget what it's called, medical something. Anyway, it's like always some kind of medical situation where maybe the person didn't know what was going on and they went to different doctors and the doctors didn't know and then in the end they found out what it was. So there was one about Lyme disease and that it's from ticks and um, there's a whole organization that helps out. I can't tell you how many people have contacted me for that information. Like a, a lot of people. And... Um, and then also we had um, a very interesting article about this man um, I- who actually lives in Telstone who has an uh, he has some kind of company and they find alternative uses for medication. So a lot of people contacted me for his, his contact information. Oh, and then just in a different kind of vein, there's this man who um, who is like a gabai by Rav Chaim Kanyevsky. So tons of people contacted yeah. me for his for his information, but he 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 has a cell phone number. You can call him, you know, like 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 people want to get into Rav Chaim and get a bracha, like whatever. And don't worry, like now they just had an article about Rav Gamliel. I had somebody on. There was a some kind of glitch in the phone system, so that they accidentally were still sending phone calls to my house number. From the office. First of all, somebody called at one o'clock in the morning. Um, my son was there. I didn't even hear the phone ring, but he heard it ring, and he it it's saved on the on the phone. You know, like it's one of those phones that tells you the number. So my husband saved it as Lori One. So it said, you call from Lori One. So my son didn't realize what it was. And he thought that maybe I'm somewhere and I'm trying to call and I need help. It was one o'clock in the morning. He gets up, he goes and he answers the phone. I didn't get my magazine. He's like, Ta'ot. And he hangs up. He hung up on them. He goes, Ima, somebody called at one o'clock in the morning because he didn't get the magazine. Of course, it was... Israelis, but n- n- not American. But then this man called up in English, and he starts saying to me, "He, we had this article about Rav Gamliel, and he wants to have contact information for him and whatever. And I said, the office is closed, and um, please call after Pesach. He said, yeah, but could you just give me this information to get... Co- I said, the office is closed. <laughs> now, he felt like he's calling the office, like he called the office number. And I was like, no, <laughs> but I'm sure lots of other people are going to contact us for for Rav Gamliel's phone number. What's so What's so fascinating about that is that we think of Mishpach. I think of Mishpach Magazine as a um, like just a one sided co- sort of media company that they're producing, and then they get their letters added and they print them back, and it's sort of this ecosystem. But here that you just opened that up and said, no, each article is really a world into connections it's from the the either the author or the subject to the people who need the help and that's that's so fascinating and amazing do you look at it that you're that you're in a sort of like a chesed position i i think that a lot of people in in mishpacha feel that way like i know that um like i was just just recently i was speaking to the editor she's a relatively young woman 
Um, she's a very thoughtful person. She's, she's really a person with a tremendous amount of depth. And um, she was saying that she gets so worried about that we print something and it might hurt somebody. And she gave a whole example, and she, she was so upset about it. Like, it was something where they, they wrote an article, a beautiful article about somebody who had passed away, and the almana asked them to take something out because she felt that it either, it, it, it made it look, it, it, it didn't give the right impression. And they even edited it out, and it accidentally got put in anyway. And it was just one sentence, but they were, the family was very, was understandably very upset. And she just felt terrible, terrible about it. Like she said, they try so hard not to hurt people and not, like sometimes people write in also, like a lot of people have agendas. Most people have agendas. Anyway, (laughs) like, like you, like they, you see that with the letters to the editor, like, Somebody can read a whole article, but they like pick one sentence and they have to write this whole letter because he wrote that whatever. So, um, uh, as a shul rabbi, by the way, you know that I, <laughs> I can't relate to that. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> um, so, um, like sometimes people will write in and say, how could you write about this person and that person is really, we know terrible things about him and this and that. Why didn't you write that he's this and this? Because we don't. We don't write things like that. We d- they don't. They don't write total lush and horror about people. Sorry, like that's not not the right place. It can't be a regular uh, media company. That's it just right. can't be right. because we're we're governed by like obviously by other rules, other laws, not just uh, what's going to make the best headline. Right. So. But it's incredible. We look at a magazine as as a media company that's trying to make money. And you know, and, and doing things, we don't we don't realize that there are human beings. We often don't think that there are human beings behind it that have that have thought through issues, and and I assume that there's also a rabbinical board and there's yes. there there are gedolim that are consulted on things, and that we don't we don't look at it that way. We take a you know the, the average reader takes I think a more cynical look at it that it's a company and it's you know it's a business and and they're making business decisions as opposed to 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 really making religious decisions and they see themselves as providing something not not a, a business to make money i mean oh, grand, it b- is believe no, me, no, no, you have a, to make money in order to be able to continue for, no question about it there's definitely there are definitely business decisions being made but there's it's bigger than business decisions and right. and i'm and i would imagine that many people there yourself included feel like you're doing a vodas it's not you're doing whole, you know holy work right. even though it's you know, you're, you're answering telephones and you're you're filing and you're doing stuff on the computer, but you, it's all for a purpose. Right. To to to, and and what would you say that purpose is? What what do you, how do you see, you know, your purpose or the the role of that of that newspaper or magazine? Um, I I, I feel that Mishpacha is tries to be some kind of a source of help for the from community in 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 different ways. Um, they. They, that's also why they approach a lot of different issues that sometimes people have problems with, um, that they feel that it's not something that you should really talk about. But they, they feel these issues are issues that need to come up because they, it's something to help the from community. And um, as I said before, like it's a very wide readership. And so they're always balancing you know, like 
just bouncing off the each side. If we do this, we're going to upset this. We're going to... So. Right. It's trying to balance it so that the majority of the people will be happy. Like, there's always going to be somebody who's, like, not so happy. Maybe it's on one end or on the other end. Who are some of the people that you um, got to meet through this job and got to, like, build relationships with through this job that are meaningful? Um, well, one person who happens to be a very special person is Yisrael Besser. Um I'll never forget when he, they, there were a number of times over the years where they brought him to Israel and they brought some of the Rabbanim to Israel and they like they had a lot of meetings and stuff. <laughs> and I remember one time he was sitting at this meeting and he was like, you know, if I could sit so long, I would have stayed in yeshiva. Like, like, <laughs> like, like, uh, like, but he's an amazing writer and he's a person who's very, he's v- involved on a lot of different levels within Mishpacha. And um, I think he's just a very special person. And I think he's an amazing writer, but he's also a very special person. Um, he's not based out of here. He's out no, of the no, U.S. No, he lives in Canada, yeah. actually. Okay. Um, I mean, there's other people who I haven't, I met just because they came... I don't really meet all the writers face-to-face, but because I work on the bookkeeping to a certain extent, I'm in touch with a lot of the writers. Um, so some of them I have a relationship with, some not so much, you know, like I'm just sending them their itemization of their, their payment every month. Um, but some of them it's really special. They're, they're like, for example, there's a writer, she's also from Canada, Mahla um, Abramovich, um, she's written a number of different things relating to the Holocaust. And she came. I was very excited to get to meet her first, you know, face to face. Like it, it's, it's, it's very nice when they come and we get to meet them. We also had, this was very interesting. There's a woman who's a reader. She writes very intelligent, well-written letters to the editor. She lives in California and she loves Mishpacha. So when, she she wrote to us and said, We're, my husband and I are coming to Israel. This is before Corona. She said, and my dream is to visit Mishpacha. And um, they came. And it was really it was really fun. Oh, also another person who's a very, very special person who unfortunately is not so well and hasn't been writing so much is Rav Glulak. Now he's also, he's like a whole nother generation. He's like, you know, like Rav Lau, like they came as children. They were in Europe as children during the Holocaust, and then they came here to Erzestral. And he just has a very wide view of things. He really does. Like, like they don't make them like that anymore. And um, so that's, um, and he used to come into the office on a regular basis. So, you know, and there were different times, like one time, a non-Jewish reporter came from some Scandinavian country, and she wanted to interview him. Now, he doesn't really speak English. He understands English. He, he writes in English or that's no. translated? No, it's translated. Fascinating. So um, he um, didn't feel comfortable at all to speak in English, and his, and his understanding of spoken English is limited also. So... I sat in with them and I translated back and forth for them. So that was really, that was also very interesting. But he, I always was very interested to hear what he had to say about different situations and whatever, because he just has a unique view on things. 
and unfortunately, he's not so well. So, I mean, he's right. He's in his eighties, so uh, and he has certain um, health issues which he's dealing with. But he, they, we, they made like a. They always make some kind of. Um, they call it haramat kosit. Um, uh, like a party before the Yom Tovim in the fall and then also before Pesach. Now, we haven't made it now in over a year because of Corona, so they did have one uh, before Pesach, and he came. And everybody was so excited. It's like a see. holiday party. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like yeah, America. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, no, but it's very fun. Like. But no Shilas of can you give uh, <laughs> Xmas <laughs> presents, you know, yeah. like, Less Shilas, oh, yeah. or maybe more, because it's full of from Jews. But <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the pr- like? What's the office like? Well, uh, just I'm super curious about that. What is? Um, how many people are working there in the office in Israel? Where does the magazine get printed? Where does it? And have things changed really through Corona? Just through everyone being more available on online, and uh, has the production changed at all? Well, they really like last March, right after Purim. They sent everybody home and um, set up everybody from their computers from home. And, um, and I worked at home for seven months. And then finally, and they had the office. There's actually the office that we're in right now has three outside doors. So they divided the office into three different parts. They put up big plastic sheets and they... Um, and so they divided it up so that they because they didn't want that if somebody will get Corona and a whole t- entire section is, is out. So they, even when they did bring people back, they started bringing people back. They had everybody coming in on different shifts and, and whatever. I didn't come back. Uh, uh, really people came back already Shavuos time last year. Uh, I didn't come back until the fall, um, until they took down those barriers because I'm, Sit in a different section than the English magazine. I said, if I have to sit and send them emails, I'll do it from my living room. Like, <laughs> like I'm, I, I'm, I'm not going into the office to sit and, and send emails back and forth to people. Um, they were really trying to be very careful. And um, it, 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 and I mean, the good thing is, is that made everything more flexible. Like people now do have that option to work remotely. Um, but the office, to tell you the truth, how many people are there? Maybe for the English magazine. I want to say 40, but I don't think there's that many. Uh, I think it's less than that. Like we have, we have the proofreading room. So there's like at any given time, there's three to four proofreaders there. Then they have the graphics is also like four people. There's two people in production. There's different editors come in and out and, um, and a few more people. And then the people from subscriptions and me, that's about it. It's relatively small. For many, many years, the entire thing was the entire production of the magazine was here, and they used to print it here, and they used to fly in the magazines to America for many, many years. Then finally, we had somebody who came into Mishpacha for about a year, and he went to America and he negotiated and he he arranged to have it printed there. Because um, many years ago, w- there was uh, when they realized that they're vulnerable. Is there there was a volcano went off in Iceland or something, and there was a, 
spoo- uh, there was a tremendous amount of ash, yeah. and there were n- and they couldn't fly. And they were. That's v- why I didn't get my issue that time. <laughs> <laughs> and um, n- uh, they worked out something, but it was really very pressured, and it just became. They used to think that it was gonna, it was cheaper to do what they were doing, but it became like, why are we doing this? Like when we can just send the files. And so somebody went, and he set up with a printer in America to be have it printed there. And um, so it, the American issue is printed there. And the but the one that goes all around the world, either Israel, Europe, England, whatever, is printed in Israel. And now I think also in South Africa they, because those people are really like get it two weeks late every single week, <laughs> you know, like. So they started printing there as well. Yeah, I think they started printing in South Africa also. They have somebody who prints. But somebody told me it's only in black and white. <laughs> it, it's like a bookstore or something, and they, they print it out for everybody. So oh, during Corona also, there were it was very hard in terms of um, there were certain places in Europe that they, for many months, they weren't able to, to, they weren't able to send the printed edition. They had to send... They they were sending like you know a link online that you could go online. I, I don't know how that worked because most people read it on Shabbos, so I think they had to just print out whatever articles they, they wanted, wanted to read. Do. Yeah. So, but Baruch Hashem, they were really through thick and thin. Mishpacha magazine was came out every single week. So, and like they keep saying, like it's really pretty amazing that we they made they made a giant issue in you know Sukkot time and they made a giant issue now. And um, are those the craziest times at the office to, uh, before Pesach? Before insane. I mean, the, just the the, the the thing itself. It's a book. Yeah, that like is a, a massive a massive magazine for Pesach. So yeah, so they like they they work literally day and night. I don't because I don't work directly on the magazine itself. My work is after it actually is printed because then I have to put all those pages into the bookkeeping. Um, so I'm very busy right after Pesach. But, uh, yeah, they, they're, they're, they're working away, you know, like it's very pressured. And then afterwards, like, it calms down. Like, and they do, there are things that they can do ahead of time. Like they can do the calligraphy, for example, the story supplement. They can do that ahead of time. But they were saying, like, like, like I was showing them there was a <laughs> they uh, I, I I always find the like um, typos and stuff and like I went and I said look what do you see that's wrong <laughs> anyway so they were like you don't understand we did that we did that supplement in one day <laughs> like yeah. like like they like put it all together and they I, I don't know like I like there was some uh, amount of craziness there but Baruch Hashem, they managed to do it I don't even know how they come up with the ideas every time to do a different kind of supplement but um do you see it as like an art form at all the the at least the writing or maybe just the production of the putting together the of a I, magazine, yeah, and I think that I think that they t- like the graphics department. I know they take it very seriously. They're always redesigning, and sometimes uh, it's a little too much designing. But okay, like uh, what there was one point in time, and they made the index was all pictures. I said, listen, mm-hmm. I, I I don't want to read an article that's a picture of a pineapple. Like, can you put some words in too? <laughs> Not just 
not just a picture of the pineapple. What does the pineapple mean? <laughs> so that was like a very short-lived kind of thing. But um, but they did put a lot more pictures into the 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 index than it used to be. It used to be all writing. So they're always like thinking up new things and doing new things and doing new covers and new ideas for covers and um uh actually the the art director the the head of the graphics is an old Neve guy. Amazing. Yeah. So and he's very talented and um he you know very good at what he does. And uh, you know, everybody's got a job. Hopefully everybody has a job, you know, <laughs> and you know, I was employed and doing the things. What do you? What What is most gratifying for you in being able to work at Mishpacha Magazine? I think it's probably just working with the people there. the The people in the English and Mishpacha are really nice people. I, I for over ten years, I worked nine hours a day, so I was there a lot. <laughs> And um, and they're just really, really nice people and very interesting people. And, like, we talk about all kinds of things, you know, like, and, and like, I'll go and they'll sit and one of the editors will say, oh, you have to read this book. It's really, really an amazing book. And I just read, you know, whatever, like. And and they're my friends. Like they they I really care about them, and we go to each other's simchas and and um, and whatever. Like it, it it's a mishpacha. Like they do they do sort of like it's not. You know, listen, it is a business. Um, from the top, there are certain things that I would say are not so mishpacha like, but um, certainly the people there all care about each other and um and are you know and beyond just like oh we, there are people you work with that, that another thing speaks to like the business versus chesed i think speaks to this it's this interesting thing like i'm grappling with but the um how to balance that because on the one side you're doing chesed but chesed sometimes interferes with the business and the business inter could interfere with that that you're saying that it's at the end of the day, it's a mishpacha and it's a family and and gives off that feeling. I think that's a, that's pretty much a success. If your employees are happy, um, and feeling that they're in part of something important, then that's yeah. a success in that side. So that's um that's amazing. And how have you seen it? You've been there for thirteen years, correct? Mm -hmm. So how have you seen it um, change? And maybe over the next uh, ten years, where do you see it? Do you see it changing? I, and I ask you this not as an editor, but I ask you this because you, you sort of have like that, a little bit of a wider view on what's going on there because you're seeing it from, from the desk, from the office. So, um, Listen, the magazine's grown. It's uh, like I was just saying to one of the graphic artists the other day, I said, listen, it used to be that Family First, on an average week, it was 48 pages. Now, and then it became 64 pages, now it's probably somewhere between 72 to 80 pages. That's like on an average week, like when it's not something special. And the special issues have become bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, like the issue the week before Pesach was the, the main magazine was over 150 pages. Like, uh, it, like the magazine itself has just grown and grown. And I, and I see also, like I said, um, 
they, they're always trying to improve. They're always thinking of like, now we're going to do a new layout, a new this, a new that, like, um, and, and they have changed. Uh, like when you look back at the, cause I, I deal with the archives and you look back at the old issues, they don't look anything like what they are now. Like they, they've like, and I think it's become very, very professional and, you know, really it wasn't necessarily in the beginning or as much, not as much. It was cool. Uh, you know, it was totally different. You, you know, like t- totally different. Well, really the English magazine when it started, was um, uh, this one woman who she still, she now is the director of the website. Um, it, it was her and a graphic artist, and they had the, and they were basically just doing translations from the Hebrew magazine. They would do translations, and then they had a graphic artist do the graphics for it, and, and this woman would um, set it all up and whatever. That was basically the English magazine when it started. And um, then it grew from there. The the woman who's now the um, the editor of the main magazine, Shana Friedman, she was a translator. That's how she started. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> she was a tr- she was one of the translators who translated articles, and then she moved up. You know, like uh, so. It, like I think it's grown and grown and 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 when I came thirteen years ago, one of the things I was told then was, listen, the English magazine is really the orphan child of Mishpacha. Like, like the Hebrew is the main magazine, and then there's the English. Uh, that's not true anymore. Like the English magazine is very much it's in its own right. You know, like a a magazine and and a and a certain koach and whatever like it's changed a lot it's fascinating it's such an interesting like just point of view you have that you see that i find that fascinating where we're my mother showed me on your uh that you very active you're an influencer on uh on uh, on instagram as well no that's a joke but you you definitely have some beautiful art that you put up there and um when i mentioned that you had this sort of like understanding of different types of uh things that you paint so what what's your favorite things to paint this is this is obviously on the side right this right, is not, right. so uh, what is it to you and where well what are your favorite things to paint um i really um i started first of all i really did artwork for since i was a kid I took art, I was, I did art, I majored in art when I was in college, and um, then for many years I did um, calligraphy and, and, um, and watercolors, I did ketubot and birkata bait and things like that. Um, then a number of years ago, like about, say, I think 11, 12 years ago, my daughter was taking uh, an, an art class, you know, like an extracurricular art class in, in Telstone. There's a woman who's an artist, and she had a studio, and she was giving classes. And um, my daughter, who's very talented, was t- it, it was really, it was a very hard time in her life, and it was really good for her. And, and she's really talented. So then when I started working for Mishpacha, and I was working so many hours, and I said, you know what? I feel like I go to work, c- 
come home, make dinner, go to bed, get up, go to work. I have to have something else. And while my kids were growing up, I did a little bit of artwork here and there, like a little bit of sketching, and I did I did ketubot here and there. Once I started working for Mishpacha, I really didn't have time to, to do th- things that were like time or, you know, like I had a time frame. Um, but um, I said, I really need some other outlet. And I, even though I was really working a lot of hours, I said, I, I need this, I need something else. And I started going to this art hug also. And um, I went for years. And um, so um, I, what do I enjoy? What I really um I, I sort of like keep my eye open all the time for things to paint and something that catches my eye. Like I really like some kind of a moment. I, I do people and I do also landscapes. So I used to, like especially when I went to the Hoog, I used to like do one painting of a landscape and then the next one I do a person and then the next one I do a landscape. Like I, I, I usually switched it off. Um, uh so, like I said, I'm always keeping my eyes open for something that pulls me that I feel like, oh, I really want to paint that. Like, um, and, oh, and I've gotten a number of things through Mishpachai, actually, because somebody, uh, I've done a couple paintings. Somebody sent in a picture. She was just sending it in, like, to be in, like, one of these photo things, you know. They used to have in the circle or something. They used to have this thing where pe- they printed people's photos and whatever. She sent in this photo of, like, all these little boys sitting with their chassidisha fathers at it, some kind of tish. I mean, it w- obviously wasn't on Shabbos because it was a photo. And I just loved it. And I wrote to her and I said, I, I want to paint this. And I did. I, I did a painting of it. And another time somebody sent a picture of Rav Chaim putting his talisman at a bris. And I just love the photo. And I did a painting of that. Um, that's on your, that's even on your Instagram. Yeah, that's, that's a on beautiful. my, yeah. So that, that was from that. That was really from that. Um, then in the past, that, I, was that a moment or that? Because to that, me it's, it's a moment. Like, yeah. Cause that has, it's a little bit of a portrait, but it was, if you look at that picture, you, you know, I'll put it in the show notes so that anyone could, could go and see it. But, um, it, it also has, there's something so real about you, you caught something. There's something there. Well, that's what really pulled me. And so I used to always say about um, portraits, the problem with a portrait is, is what the first thing everybody says is, does it look like him? Does it look like him? Do you think it really looks like him? Like, like that's the main thing. And I actually am able to do that, but um, I felt like I really wanted to do something beyond that. However, it just sort of the way life goes. Um, I did a portrait. Somebody uh, asked me to do a portrait of Rav Friedlander, Oliver Shalom. Uh, he was our Rav, and he was also this man's Rav. And this man, uh, David Kahana, um, was um, my husband's Chavrusa for a while, and he's an old, old Neve guy. And um, he has helped me tremendously. Like, after I did this portrait of Rav Friedlander, he got people to order portraits from me. So, it, and it's interesting because I did one time, usually people send me a photograph of what they want done. So sometimes I know the people, sometimes I don't. Um, somebody wanted Rav Zweig from Florida. 
And I was like, but they didn't send me a picture. So I said, send me a picture. And then I, then I went online and I said, oh, look, Mishpacha Magazine. I was going to say he's on Mishpacha Magazine. Yeah. <laughs> he, they did it. Look, three years ago, they did an article. Now, I have access to all the files, so I went into the photo files, and they had, like, a beautiful, they, they did a whole photo shoot of him. So I sent all these different photos to the guy, and I said, which one do you pick? And he picked one of them, you know, like, which was the one that I really liked, which was, it was a picture of, of Zweig. He was talking, and he had his hand up, and he, oh, it, he was talking. Again, just totally captured him, his, the complexity, and, and what you could only, almost see what he was saying in that in that picture like just feel it that he was saying something deep and he was saying something real so i was very excited because it wasn't just a portrait it was really him talking and him so um whatever so then and i've done different things i and i was telling you like i did the chafetz chaim so i did it i was also very excited about that to to do that it was from the video that they that they found this right. this the real picture of the chafetz chaim yeah the real picture of the chafetz chaim and um, uh, I worked very, like, like also with that kind of a picture, you really want it to come out right. You know, like you want it to look like, like him. But um, like I was telling you that it's like, um, it was very important to me that certain aspects of the Chafetz Chaim, I was really trying to portray beyond just a picture of him, like the fact that he was a very kind person. I mean, he was a godal, but he he was a very determined person, a person who accomplished tremendous amount of things in his life because he was so determined. Like even when he was a very elderly man, he was still going around and speaking to communities and trying to get to them to do things that he, issues that he felt were really important. He was still going around and speaking and um, but he also was very kind. There's so many stories of of his kindness and how kind he was to to people on a personal level. So th- I was really trying to portray that in the picture also. So your art isn't really any different than a writer, because a writer tries to do exactly the same thing. When they write, they want to really capture the person. Right. And when you're when you're doing your art, you're not merely drawing a picture. You're trying to capture a person in a in a moment, like you right. say. So it's very interesting when I do somebody that I have no idea, I don't know them because I don't really know who they are, but it's a very interesting thing because I found that as I work on the portrait, I could even be wrong, but I feel like I get to know the person. Like I, Do I you like read up on them or do you have to do any uh, research before you do it? No, because I c- don't always have that option because it might be somebody personal. It might be somebody from their family. Um there's a few that I have no idea. Like the latest one that I did, I have no idea who this is. I, I really don't know who it is. And it was a very strange photograph. It was a photograph that was behind, he was he must have been behind a window. Like he's looking in. The light is all from behind his head. It's a very interesting picture altogether. And they said, do you think you can do it? So I said, yeah. Okay. Like, even if I doubt myself, which I do, like I, the the hardest thing for me doing these portraits is like just to talk myself into starting, because part of me knows that I can really do it, and then part of me is saying, "Oh my gosh, how are you? 
but maybe this time you won't be able to do it. <laughs> maybe this time it won't work. Maybe it won't come out. And then I had to like just work on myself, work on it. And then once I start, it goes. Like, um, so, um, but it, that was a very interesting photograph, but it it really did come out. I was very happy with the results, you know. And, and they? they who, were, knew, who knew the person? They were very happy. Cool. Yeah. So that if was somebody good. wants to see and, and maybe even... Uh, uh, get you to maybe commission something for you. How can they find you? Uh, so I'm on Instagram uh, at Lori Ann Friedman. Um, and they can always contact me through that, I guess. Amazing. You know, if we're not careful, we are literally going to be around the shop as <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Okay. Um, thank you very much. So that's that's it. Okay. There you go.